take you behind the scenes in Smash Yoshi slides it in, and the Predators win in overtime. This is the Preds' official podcast with Brooks Bratton on Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. It's the Predators' official podcast, the POP on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Episode 163 of the radio program. We hope you're enjoying your day wherever you're listening from. In the car, on a walk, on the beach. Jealous if that's where you are. Welcome to the show. Brooks Bratton of NashvillePredators.com. Excited to be back with you for another episode. Usually, I've got Kara Hammer of the Preds broadcast team by my side, but Kara's a little bit under the weather. She's going to be okay. But she's a little bit under the weather, so we wish her well. And in the meantime, we often say that producer Max taking care of the levels, making us sound good. He's got to worry about his levels today because guess what? Producer Max, whose real name is Max Hers, my co-host today on the POP Relay. Kara's out. Pretty much all the broadcasters are flying to San Jose since Wednesday's game was on TNT. A lot of people unavailable. And I was like, you know what? Max is going to be here anyway. He's got a voice. Why doesn't he join me? So, Max, I would say welcome to the show. You're here every week, but still, welcome. It's an honor to speak on this podcast for the third time ever. (laughs) Well, and as I told you when I asked you, I was like, this is perfect because you actually got a a question from a listener as well. So I was like, why don't we just throw him in? Not only can he answer his own question, he can do the rest of the show with me. I'm honored, and I honestly still haven't even seen the question, so I'm excited (laughs) for that later on. That's true. Yeah, you were not mentioned. Uh, on Twitter. So it wasn't like you would have gotten that notification. So I've got it ready to go for you and we'll ask it a little bit later in this show. The Preds conclude an amazing week with the stadium series. Of course, Pecorine's retirement we touched on the last show and then the Preds, they took it outdoors. A full look back on the week that was on the ice. The Preds fall to the Kraken in Seattle to finish that season series earlier in the week. We'll touch on that. We've got Great chat coming up with Predators head equipment manager Pete Rogers, who recently worked his 2500th professional hockey game. We'll try not to make him feel too old, and we'll chat with him coming up a little bit later. Also, your Twitter questions to get to one of them for Max, and he can chime in on some of the other ones as well as we continue to go along. But as we said, of course, it it, it feels like it's kind of weird like to get back to quote-unquote normal, whatever normal is. For us in this world of professional sports and pro hockey with the Preds here, because the week that was, my goodness, you had Pekka's retirement last Thursday. Friday, you had the practice at Nissan Stadium. Saturday, the stadium series game and everything that came along with that. And then I was lucky enough to go for a skate on Sunday night at Nissan, which was amazing. Those four days were just such a whirlwind. And to, to come back down from that and again, kind of get back on a normal schedule. It, it's been kind of nice in a way. And although it's, you know, to, to look back and say like, wow, like we actually pulled all that stuff off. And unfortunately the Preds, of course, they didn't win against Tampa Bay in the stadium series, but the consensus remained that the city of Nashville won the week. Yeah. I had such a great time. I was there with a media credential, just basically taking pictures and covering for one Oh two five, the game. Yeah. And, Got to some interviews after, which was a lot of fun down there in the Titans locker room. But what an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I tried to just give myself every possible point of view I could. I was in the press box for a little bit. 
I was in the broadcast booth watching Pete and Hal for a little bit. And then I just tried to watch from everywhere. When the players were walking out, I went down to the front row right by where they were coming out of the locker rooms and stood in one of the camera wells and got to watch the anthem from there and the lighting and the intros. It was unbelievable. Then I watched most of the game from the top of the lower level, which there's no perfect view at an outdoor game, but I thought that was pretty great. Then I went up to see some friends in the club level and in the 300 level, and I think I got every perspective I could, and honestly, I loved all of them. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, certainly something to behold. And like you, I, I really made sure, obviously I did my job, but I think <laughs> I did, I wanted to make sure I did a better job this time around of taking it all in because I feel like in Dallas, it was, you know, we showed up in Dallas two years ago, um, just a couple days before the game. And I was like, you're in, you're out, you play the game and it was work, work, work and go and then you're gone. Whereas this time I was like, one, it's a little bit easier when you're here, when you're documenting everything leading up to it. And you can really just experience it all from that perspective. But I made that a point to say like, all right, yes, like when it's time to work, you work. But really just take a minute to to look around and enjoy it and and really appreciate what's going on. And, and it was just something to behold. Again, it's one thing to do it in a visiting city, but to do it here, it reminded me a lot of the All-Star Weekend in 2016, of the final in 2017, and just everything that came along with that. And to see so many fans, yeah, and and Preds fans and, and Lightning fans, and I thought it was so cool. I heard from a number of Lightning fans that you know a ton of people came up from Tampa Bay, and they were like, "We love your city. We we come here, even if we're not playing, even if Tampa isn't playing. They're like, we love to come here and watch games." Um, the gentleman walking out of our team store at Bridgestone Arena, Nashville locker room, he was like, that's an impressive store. We don't have nearly <laughs> what you guys have. So, I mean, you know, it was, it's just cool to see hockey fans and, and other jerseys too, right. like a ton of other, jer- I mean, I saw, uh, you know, Montreal and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and the Islanders and the Devils and the Rangers. Like I saw so many just hockey jerseys. I think of, of fans coming in and really just enjoying and celebrating everything that the sport had to offer to me. That's what will stick out from it. I mean, the atmosphere, the players arriving in style. We'll talk more about that later. Over 68,000 fans in attendance. Pecorine tossing the catfish pregame with perhaps the best reaction after he tossed said catfish and almost took someone's head off who was there filming it. It just, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, again, I, it was so much work and you're so tired in the moment. But at the same time, as I sit here and reflect on it and talk about it again, I was like, dang, like that was really cool. Yeah, it was, I walked over kind of with a big group of fans because I was coming from announcing the Vanderbilt baseball game. Mm -hmm. So I imagine you were there pretty early in the day. I didn't get there until about probably 5.15, parked near the arena and walked over with the crowd to see downtown Nashville filled with hockey jerseys was an unbelievable feeling. And I mean, it's it's one thing to see 17,000 fans wearing jerseys going into a game, which we've experienced hundreds of times and is definitely not something to be taken for granted and is still very cool but to see 60,000 fans everybody wearing a jersey walking over the pedestrian bridge it was a once in a lifetime feeling and it was something this city and team deserved 50 times over in my opinion it was long overdue and I hope we have many more so Tanner Janot and Philip Forsberg scored in that 3-2 loss to Tampa Bay but again, the final score, pretty much the only disappointing aspect of the night. And I felt like this was worth a lesson. I haven't even heard it yet, but I wanted to hear 
Pete Weber's goal call of Tanner Janot's tally, the first goal at Nissan Stadium, at least a hockey goal. Sorelli, now right side setting and shooting, and the rebound and the score! Tanner Janot! A power play goal, the Predators in front, 1-0. So you can hear the roar, right? It sounds different, and I know I talked about that, and that's what I try to tell everybody is that the sound when a goal is scored is unlike anything you've ever heard as a hockey fan. Because when you score a goal at Bridgestone Arena and you hear 17,159 people cheering in a confined space, all right, you know what that sound is. You've heard it before. When you get a roar of, so what, there were 68,000 in attendance, probably at least 50 were probably Preds fans. When you get a roar of 50,000 people like that for a hockey goal, it's insane. It, like it's, I'm, I really just, I'm so glad we got to have one here for that aspect and for so many people to be able to experience that yeah and and and, Tanner said it was something he'll never forget well it was so funny because I mean both goals came at very pivotal points in the game obviously Mm -hmm. Tanner Janot to give you the first goal of the game and then Philip Forsberg down 3-1 to bring you back into it while that game still had enough time left that it was within reach and both guys were unbelievably fired up like if they were to score that goal and make that type of celebration in a regular season game or in an indoor game, you would be like, whoa, that is a big celebration. And it's just what we've come to expect from an outdoor game. Yeah, I loved the live playing of I like it. I love it, too. Yes. It was so great. Yes. And then and the fans with the chance over it. It was uh, it was a chills type of moment after that first goal. It yeah. really was. Well, and for uh, the second goal with Philip Forsberg came just after the two gentlemen from the band Lit who sing My Own Worst Enemy, they sang that during the TV timeout. Forsberg comes right out and scores, and they were still on the band stage. And the, so the two guys from Lit actually sang the I Like It, I Love It live. Wow. After something I didn't like, know that. I was like, I what? I didn't know it was still them. Yeah, That's awesome. that. they were still there. I'm like, do they know? But I am guess, I guess, like, sure, you know that song. Like, anybody who's ever been to a Predators game knows that song. So it was it, it, just another really cool moment there with the way the music was integrated, and Dirk Bentley and Miranda Lambert killed it. Uh, during the first intermission and just everybody else who was out there. Uh, again, Tanner Janot said he'll remember that moment of scoring the goal for the rest of his life. And here's what Roman Yossi had to say post-game on just the atmosphere and, and the fans and the support that he saw throughout the weekend. Just the fans. I mean, um, like I said before, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's a full house. Um, it seemed like everyone, us, the fans, the whole city was so excited about this game. And like I said, um, our, our fans are so supportive every time. I mean, they're amazing at Bridgestone, but then we have an event like this, and it's a full building, um, the bus right here and everything. Like, it's just uh, so much support from the city, and we're, we're so grateful for it, and it's definitely a game that we will never forget. Not that we were surprised, but Smashville showed up, and I think that that's one of the other really cool things about a game like this and an event like this is you get to experience it nationally, and you have, like, we know what, Nashville is all about and in moments like this but uh, for those nationally whether it's broadcasters or reporters or just fans who come in who get to experience something and see something like this um, I think it was Ryan Whitney from the Spit and Chicklets podcast said that you know just with just the, the setup and Broadway across the river and you walk across the bridge and the stadium and just everything that comes with Nashville he had said that he thought that this was the best outdoor game he could remember uh, that, that he's been to in NHL history. Just, again, everything else that comes with it. And that's a tough part is that, you know, that you don't win the game, but 
uh, it's tough to be too disappointed in that moment for everything that came with it. And it is worth talking about, however, the things that are going on on the ice right now, obviously. That's what matters most. And so the Predators, they did get four out of six points that week, the big win in Florida, the big win in the shootout over Dallas. They fall to Tampa and then have a few days off. Head back out to Seattle on the road. They finished the season series in Seattle on Wednesday, a 4-3 loss to the crack. And a disappointing result for Nashville. Matthew Shane scored twice, but the Preds gave up three goals in less than three minutes in the second period. Head coach John Hines says the attention to detail simply wasn't there. And Roman Iossi said the Preds just didn't deserve to win. So the final two months of the regular season, they're here. And as we record this on Friday, March 4th, the day before the Preds face the Sharks in San Jose, only 28 games to go. Things are tight, and it's likely going to be that way, that way the rest of the way too. And we talked about this, that the Predators had a very light February, again, with just the way that everything had to be switched up with the schedule. We knew that teams were going to catch up by the time March came around. And this is kind of their last little break here. Not a break necessarily, but a, a few more days between games between Seattle and San Jose. And then things get really tight. You're playing almost every other day. You've got a lot of three and fours. You've got a lot of back-to-backs coming up. It's not going to be any easier. Not that it's ever easy, but I mean, this is the time that you've really got to buckle down. Yeah. It's uh, as a team that had fewer COVID postponements than most of the others, the mm-hmm. Preds didn't get a ton thrown at them in what was supposed to be the Olympic window. They got some very tough teams thrown at them, but it wasn't a ton of games like some of the other teams had. But it'll be really interesting over this next little stretch. I mean, the coaches have had the ability to plan. This is no surprise to anybody. So it'll be interesting to see usage, like how much does David Riddick play? He got that start against the Panthers on the road against a really good team, and the Preds won that game. So that certainly gives them confidence that we can use our backup goalie, maybe not just even in back-to-backs, but in other scenarios to help UC Soros down the stretch. You're going to need David Riddick. You're going to need different guys to step up. We were just seeing, uh, as we are recording this, Predators head coach John Hines was speaking on Robbie and Rex Road across the hall here, and seeing Joe Rex Road, our, our colleague, put out a tweet that Hines was talking about breaking that herd lineup. He put Tanner Janot up with Ryan Johansson and Luke Cunning on Wednesday in Seattle and kept Colton Sissons together with Yakov Trennan and Matt Luff came up there. But Hines was saying, we, we've got to find a match for Johansson. And, and we think that Nick Cousins, if not Saturday at San Jose, will be back next week from Good. his his week-to-week injury. Uh, he's a guy who's played with Ryan Johansson a lot this season. and uh, But again, Hines saying that we not only have we got to find the right fit for Johansson, but we've got to get him going again a little bit too. Again, two goals from Matt Duchesne. Uh, a, a lot of your top guys have still been playing pretty well lately for the Predators, but Ryan Johansson's a guy who's been great this season, but especially down the stretch here, the stretch drive, as you call it, and, and Coach Hines said the other day, like, look, this is the best time of year, right? The weather's starting to get a little bit warmer. You're starting to feel it once you get in to March. Normally, there there's a lot more games than you'd normally have. At this point, there, there would usually only be about a month to go. You've essentially got two months to go, so there's plenty of time. And the Predators are in a playoff spot right now as we speak. But there's a chance that they might jockey back and forth a number of times over the next couple of months. And so not that it's not important all the time, but you're really going to need all your top guys going uh, in the next little bit here as they continue that push and the trade deadline uh, just over two weeks away now as well. 
Yeah, and the Preds, I think, really have a forward group that they like, and it hasn't been a problem when someone like Matt Luff or Cole Smith or whomever it may be from Milwaukee has popped in there. But I think we saw when that Cousins and Cunning winger duo was around Joe Hansen, that was a really strong four-checking line with three really strong four-checking players and two great four-checking wingers in Cunning and Cousins who I think complement each other really well. So I'm glad to hear that Nick Cousins is likely back soon, and I think that'll be the next solution to try and, as you said, get Johansson back at full speed. Nick Cousins likely back soon. Alex Carrier should be back soon as well. Mark Borowiecki did return on Wednesday at Seattle. So a big one Saturday night in San Jose. And then the Preds come home, a huge homestand. They've got Dallas on Tuesday, which looks like probably a team that they're going to be neck and neck with the rest of the way here. So a massive game against Dallas. Then you've got Anaheim and then you've got St. Louis and then you're at Minnesota. That's a back-to-back next week in St. Louis and then at Minnesota. They're all important, but especially this homestand, it's going to be a heck of a time. So make sure you're there, by the way, at Bridgestone Arena as the Preds have those three coming up next week. But as Coach Hines said, it is the most exciting time of the year and uh, there is sure to be no shortage of drama the way things are going here over the next weeks ahead. Wanted to mention as well, congrats to Roman Yossi, 500 career points. He had two assists on Wednesday night. So he's actually at 501 now. But I just wanted to read a couple of these off. And you know, we know how good Yossi is. We know how impressive some of his numbers are. But listen to this. He became the fifth defenseman from the 2008 NHL draft to record 500 career points joining Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty, John Carlson, and Alex Petrangelo. No draft in NHL history has produced more 500-point blue liners. Also this, I think these two are probably the most impressive. Yossi reached the 500-point mark in 732 games. Among active defensemen, only Eric Carlson achieved the milestone in fewer contests. He did so in 613 outings. And only four defensemen over the past 25 years have recorded 500 points in fewer games than Yossi Carlson, Sergei Zubov, Nick Lidstrom, and Sandus Ozilinch. Some pretty good company there. So congrats to Roman Yossi. Congrats to the captain. Like, he does it all. But those numbers, Max, they're really impressive. Yeah, extremely impressive. And for for a defenseman to have that much scoring volume and for all of his points to, I mean, those are legit points. Those are not, like, tap the puck up and then somebody else is doing all the work points. The two points he scored against the Kraken were 500 and 501 were so indicative of what he does. The first one was a secondary assist, but it's as meaningful as a, of a secondary assist as you will ever see. Takes the puck all the way behind the goal, helps get it to Michael McCarron, who taps it right in front to Phil Tomasino. That is a fourth line goal mm-hmm. set up by your number one defenseman yep. when he went behind the net himself. So that's as good of a secondary assist as you'll see in the NHL, especially by a D-man. And then the second one, just an unbelievable pass, springing Matt Duchesne on a power play rush. I mean, that's that's all Roman Yossi right there. Like, what a situation. And he made that goal happen. Congrats once more to the captain. 500 points, pretty darn impressive, and he'll need to help lead the charge the rest of the way here, as he always does. Lead by example. That's all it takes for Roman Yossi. Best hair in the game, too, by the way. <laughs> But again, 500 points, pretty darn impressive. 2,500 games is impressive, too. And the man who recently achieved that milestone, Predators head equipment manager Pete Rogers, will talk to him coming up next here on the Preds' official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game.
Predators, official podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Streaming on the Game Nashville app and a whole slew of other spots. Welcome back to the program. Brooks Bratton of NashvillePredators.com here with you. And the gentleman on the other line, his favorite band there, so I hope he enjoys this intro. But uh, Predators equipment manager Pete Rogers making his second career appearance on the pod. Pete, welcome back. Thanks for doing this. I just uh, had to step away. I was singing the song, playing air guitar. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no better lead-in for someone like yourself. And uh, we're, oh, thanks, we're thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. We're happy to have you again. And as we said, career appearance number two. I think it was uh, a few years back when we had you on the first time, and it was right around heading to Dallas for the Winter Classic. So. Plenty has happened since then, but some congratulations are in order for you. You recently worked your 2,500th professional hockey game. Uh, not to make you feel old, as you said, but can you even wrap your head around that number? No, I can't. Um, you, you know the old adage that uh, time stops at nothing. Um, 2,500, it's you know, it's it's just a number, but you know, as time goes on, you kind of lose track of of uh, how many games you've worked. And, you know, you, you look back at it, you're like, wow, am I that old? But <laughs> have, have, you know, we worked that many hockey games, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's an honor in my business, you know, amongst, uh, amongst the trainers and equipment managers. You know, we, we those, are the, those are the people that keep track of those numbers. Um, but it, it's just crazy to think that uh, there's that many hockey games. You know, the, I've worked that many hockey games, you know, and, and there's been some good games and there's been some bad games, um, but uh, no, it's 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 a it's a it's a tremendous honor and it's uh, it's hard to wrap wrap my arms around it to be quite honest. Twenty five hundred, I'm sure, plenty of them blend together. But do you remember game number one of your professional career? I do. It was in the East Coast League. John Brophy was my coach. We played. Uh, Johnstown Chiefs, the site of the famous uh, Slapshot movie. Oh, yeah. Slapshot game. Were you at the um, War Memorial? We were. Nice. And and the most vivid memory I have of the game is um, when you have to walk onto the ice from the from the locker room, there's like a two-foot step down. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> and that's probably the way the boards used to be. But you literally, you literally have to be careful or you fall and kill yourself. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was the first time I had ever been in that building, and you know, being a huge Slapshot fan, I just caught myself the whole time just looking around and, uh, you know, uh, remembering certain scenes in Slapshot. <laughs> <laughs> as goofy as that is, but uh, yeah, that was that that was game number one back in 1989. Very cool, and and obviously you've been in Nashville since day one, as the Preds started playing games in October of. 1998, and I I went back and listened to the last show to make sure I didn't ask you anything over again, but we didn't have time to kind of get the story of how you got here. How did you end up in Nashville, and what's it been like to be here since the very beginning? You know, it's funny, you know, um, when we were in the Rochester, I was with the Rochester Americans in 1996, and we ended up playing the Portland Pirates in the finals um, that year for the Calder Cup, and in the American League, you know, back in that era, it was different. Teams come in town. Everybody takes care of everybody. You know, it's 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 just a different thing. And, and as we've gotten to know Barry Trotz over the years, he's such a nice man. Um, and that you know, and David Poyle, they were all they were running that that team at the 
time. And, you know, they came into town and uh, we took good care of them. We got them, you know, it was obviously the middle of June being the finals. We hooked them up on golf courses. We got them into restaurants. And I got to know Barry Trotz very well that week and, and his crew. Um, he's, they won game seven. I don't know. They were playing the St. John's uh, Flames, I believe. And they had we had like five or six days before the, the final started for one reason or another. And I got to become good friends knowing them. And um, and then but the, the, real, the real ticker was after we won in game seven at home, you know, I had done, I was doing the travel for Rochester. You know, our, our team is kind of celebrating, going crazy. And I'm outside. Um, outside our locker room and, and Barry Trotz calls me over, you know, he's like, Hey, what's going on? We can't find our bus. <laughs> it was so crazy around the warm weather. I said, well, come on, let's go. So we walked around outside the arena for like 20 minutes and we finally found their bus and got them into um, the building so they could go home. You know, they had a charter flight waiting, Yeah, you know, and, and he was so gracious, even in losing. Um, and, you know, so fast forward, I don't know, two years later, um, this Nashville thing comes up, and you know, I sent a resume to him and Paul, uh, Paul Gardner, also was the coach there. Sent a resume to those guys, and uh, I think it was January of '98 where I went up and interviewed with uh, David and Barry um, in Toronto. They were up for a, for a, some type of prospects game, and that's that's how I end up getting the job. It's you know, it's, it's so funny. There's something to be said for being a nice guy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a million guys that can sharpen skates and do what I do. But the things that people remember about you is how, how you treated them. You know, and as time's gone on here in Nashville, we've always had great people that continue that lesson. You know, just looking at what Pecorini, uh last week, I mean, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and Barry and David have always set that tone, um, or you know, they, they set that tone early on about being nice and treating people and taking care of people, and that that kind of kind of a lesson to live by. But you know, that's that's the I guess the probably too long version of how I ended up here. Hmm. Well, you you mentioned anybody can sharpen skates, but you've done you've done a lot of them, and you hit two thousand games back in twenty fifteen. I went back to look at the story that I wrote at that time, and we estimated that you had sharpened maybe around 144,000 skates at that point. Do you think oh we're God. approaching probably 200,000 by now in 2022? For, sh- for sure, because we sharpen more skates now because each player has two sets of blades. So some, some, days, some days you're doing double the sharpening. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy number. We are talking to Predators head equipment manager Pete Rogers here on the Preds official podcast on ESPN 1025 The Game. And Pete, perhaps the one of the best ways for an equipment manager to kind of be in the spotlight is to hand a player a stick right before he scores a goal. And we've touched on this before, but we saw it a few years ago in the playoffs uh, in Winnipeg with Philip Forsberg in that game six. And then most recently, he helped out Luke Cunnan right before he scored a winner in double OT during last spring's playoffs against Carolina. Tell us a little bit about that aspect because you do have to be so quick uh, when a player's stick breaks. And I remember hearing you say once that Chris Mason used to say that you could hear a stick break before it actually did. Because <laughs> uh, Chris used to sit on the bench and uh, we would talk a lot and watch a lot. But the, the way I watch hockey games is totally different. I, I watch 
when I'm standing there on the bench, you watch for things that happen, you know, like and you react to them. Um, but you know, and sometimes you get lucky on sticks, um, and sometimes you don't because if a guy breaks a stick that quick and you can't get to it, um, but you know you have to have a keen sense of awareness of what's going on. But like you know the Cunning thing, he broke a stick and he had to come back to the bench while the play stayed down in that end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that one was somewhat easier because he had he had time to react. But you know it's it's pretty cool when that happens. And then you know Luke is such a good guy. He actually, you know, he said something in an interview on the ice after the game. And, you know, the way things happen sometimes, you don't even realize, like, I, at that night right away, I didn't even realize that Luke had scored because we were, I think some, somebody had called over to get a, a piece of steel right after that happened. And mm. obviously we never got there because the game ended. But, <laughs> you know, it's cool to have a small part in some of that, you know. I mean, obviously um, the players are the ones out there doing their thing and scoring goals, but, you know, you have to be ready for them. But at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty cool. Like some of the guys at the arena made like a plaque out of a broken stick after that night. But unfortunately, it would be cooler if we end up, would end up winning that series. But, yeah. um, but, you know, again, it's just pretty cool to be a small part of it. Well, and I, I've watched you before on the bench, and especially I think during a face-off, I feel like you. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've almost got your hands on on a stick, ready to go for the centerman if if it breaks off the off the draw. Especially for the ones that are right in front of the bench, because you don't have time to react. Yeah. You know, and the way our bench is in Nashville, you know, you, you, I literally have to jump down, get it, and go. I, you know, and a lot of times, some of our uh, assistant trainers are back there; they'll assist in that kind of keeps them into the game as well just to make sure that uh you know we will we'll have the we'll have that stick if needed you know 9.5 out of 10 you don't need it but mm-hmm. that point five time where where you really need it yeah well and you you mentioned pecorine earlier as well and of course we know that uh all the all the the wonderful things that happened last week and getting a chance to be around him and and to see his number raised to the rafters and we could probably spend an entire show on just this but I wanted to ask you about Pax and of course you were here for his whole career what are your, some of your fondest memories of number 35 and just not only what he meant to this organization but what he meant to you and what it was like to work with him all those years you know he he was he's such a special person you know on and off the ice um you know even what I learned from him is, you know, the the way he responded to adversity. You know, like there were some nights when he would get hung out to dry by a player or two, and he would never, ever single that player out. Like he would never, you know, and even in his interviews, he would just stand up there and he played bad. He landed a bad goal. Um, you know, he, he the way he carried himself as a person is very, very inspirational, to, you know, to me. Just it just you know and he's so much younger than I am, um, hmm. but just the way he carries himself as a person. I mean, and he's just such a he's such a great guy. But you know, as, as far as and and people like that, you root for. You know, you root for them to do well. Yeah, you root for them to do well in life. You know, and and you know to watch his whole journey, you know, right down to the point of where he had a baby, um, the you know, last year or so, and just the way he's embraced that, and the way he's embraced life, and you know, he's just such a great guy. But, you know, as far as his career achievements, obviously, you know, they're over the top for the Predators. But um, he's just, you know, I, I can't I, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, you know, the way, how good of a person he is, you know. And, and I, 
you want you you root for somebody like that on and off the ice, you know, and then hopefully, um, you know, we sat we've sat and talked, you know, was was he mentioned that in his uh, in his retirement speech about you know how he missed the times sitting in my room, you know, lots of times guys will come in and you know they'll sit on the couch we have in my office and some of them will just unload and you kind of just most of the time you listen to them but you know the reason they do it is because they you know they trust they trust me they trust you know my assistant Brad Peterson and Jeff Camilio because you know they they enjoy talking because it's kind of a it's kind of a safe zone for them in terms of you know these guys are these guys are great people you know they're They've seen a lot, you know, and sometimes they'll just ask advice on certain things, you know, and never on the ice, of course, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and one, one of the, one of, one of my greatest pecker Renee memories I'll ever have will be after we lost that night, um, in Carolina last year after the playoffs, you know, that series we lost in overtime at home, mm-hmm. he was leaving and it was him and Mikel Granlin and UC Saros and they were, they were, they got halfway down the hall and. Pekka stopped and he goes, let's go back and just sit in the equipment room. It's almost like he knew that was going to be his last game. Mm-hmm. And we end up sitting in my office till like two o'clock in the morning, just, you know, having a, having a beer or two, but just talking, you know, and laughing and just the, the person he was, the sense of humor he had, you know, he was just, he gave so much to everybody, you know, including myself, but, you know, just the way my, my biggest memory of him is, the way he carried himself, you know, uh, the way he carried himself off the ice as well as on the ice. I mean, I, I don't really know, you know, he had so many good games over the years at the arena. It's hard to pinpoint one, but you know, and I do remember when he came in, he first came over from Finland. He had this ugly mask that <laughs> we looked at and <laughs> I didn't want to laugh at him because it's obviously he'd been wearing that his whole career. But, you know, lots of times when guys come from Europe, we have to get them, integrated into our system and our equipment and you know, i'm sure year, years back later he could probably laugh about how awful it looked you know <laughs> this great big cage great great big bulky thing and you know um we got him integrated in our stuff but you know, as far as a funny memory that, that'd be a funny memory but that last memory of him we were just sitting around half the night was just was just great yeah what a way to finish. Well, and this might be a, an impossible question for us to finish on, and maybe Pex plays a large role in this, but I mean, can you can you nail down one or two things that, that you enjoy most about this? I mean, obviously, you've got such a unique job, and you're on an NHL bench for, for every game, and uh, I imagine there's so many wonderful things that come with that. Is there something that you would sit down and say, yeah, like, at the end of the day, like, this is, is what makes this for me, or this is the best part about what I do? Well, you know, it is hard to pinpoint it, but you know, I'll touch on what I just said about Pekka. The people that you meet, um, you know, the people that you work with, the, the players that you work with, you know, they, they, they come in and out all the time, but there's some really good people in this business, you know, who you become friends with you know, from time to time. For, you know, and I'll say one of the disappointments I had about the stadium series game last week is all these old alumni were in, and I didn't have a minute to really go see any of them. Yeah. You know, they're such good people. Like, you know, I was able to spend some time with Shea Weber and Kimo teaming in and on. And actually Steve Sullivan came in to find me at like 1245 on Saturday night just to congratulate me on 2,500 games. But the people that you see, and then, then the next day um, he dropped 
he dropped off a package on my doorstep with golf balls with 2,500 games on them. It was pretty cool. Nice. But the, peop- the people you meet, you know, and, and obviously when, when they, they come back and you talk, you know, and, you know, you had an inf- I had an influence on them because they're at, they were at that point at such different stages of their life, you know, and now they've kind of, they're older and they've gone on, but bigger and better things, most of them, um, you know, after their careers are over with families and that, but um, the people that you meet just, you know, are really, really makes the job special. You know, try to explain that um, every city we go into, like, for example, there's a guy that works the locker room in Tampa, um, Rod Harris, his name, he's retiring this year and he came in with Tampa and I got to introduce him to my family um, at the family skate on uh, last Friday. And, you know, so we're that night, my, my wife's like, who's that guy you introduced me to? And I'm like, well, every city you go into, you know, there's a person that works in that visiting locker room that they like partners for us, mm-hmm. but they come in and, you know, they come in, they help you, they get you what you need. And you know, sometimes you're coming in there three, four in the morning, you're wiped out, but you look forward to seeing those people, you know, and even, um, you know, even, been very fortunate. David Boyle got me involved in USA Hockey, and you've met so many players on other teams that, again, they're all good people, you know. And, and um, to get to catch up with those people, you know, as as time goes on, it's it's pretty special, you know. And when you think back of all the special people that we've had, you know, like with Barry and Peter Laviolette, you know, and the, the various players that have come through, you know, and even people that work at the arena. There's just some really good people, um, you know. It, I think that I think that's what I'm trying to say on that. I mean, as far as special moments go, like you know, I mean, obviously there's been some special moments in that arena. arena the first game in 1998, and then fast forward all the way up to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2017. You know, it's just been a, this has been, it's been a pretty good ride, and it's been a great place. Um, yeah. If that may all makes sense to you, absolutely. Well, it is it is the people for sure, and it's. It's always a pleasure to chat with someone like yourself, and uh, we appreciate you getting up early out there in San Jose. But Pete, always a pleasure. Hope you get to spin some rush in the room maybe today, and enjoy the uh, enjoy the rest of the trip out in San Jose. And we'll see you back home soon enough. But thanks for doing this. Thank you very much, Brooks. Have a great day. Up next, the Preds arrived to Nissan Stadium in style. A bit more on those leather jackets they wore on Saturday. This is the Predators' official podcast on ESPN 102.5 The Game. We love Moby. Welcome back to the Predators official podcast, episode 163 on ESPN 1025 The Game. Brooks Bratton, producer Max, Max Hurst back here with you. Our thanks once more to Pete Rogers for waking up early in San Jose and joining us. Although, as he said, as an equipment manager, your clock is so screwed up. You're up at all hours of the day, so hopefully not too bad, but uh, I love hearing some of his stories and just to his experiences, how he got to Nashville. See, it pays to be nice to people. He helped Barry Trotz find the bus. Two years later, he got the job in Nashville. He's been here ever since. Always be nice to Barry Trotz. <laughs> Always be nice to Barry Trotz. Just be nice to people. It's not that hard. You never know when it'll come back around. Welcome back to the show. Max filling in for Kara this week. And wanted to touch on this a little bit more since I'm a big suit guy. It matters. Look good, feel good. The players certainly did on Saturday, the Nashville Predators. It's become kind of a thing. You can't go to an outdoor game and just wear a normal suit and tie. Like that's, That just doesn't work. So you'll remember in Dallas, they were all black, kind of like a little Johnny Cash tribute. 
This time around, a little more eclectic. They elected to go with some leather jackets, some hats designed by Travis Austin, who's got a flagship shop in Fifth and Broadway, just across from Bridgestone Arena, by the way. Uh, but again, they elected to ditch the traditional suits and kind of like a Music City Outlaws themed leather jackets and some different hats from Travis Austin. So each player worked with him and his team over the past few weeks to create the jackets, like paying homage to their hometowns, family, other favorite at- attributes. Uh, NHL.com writer Tom Galetti had a story on it. I had a little bit of that in Smashville Scope this week. But, uh, for example, the Preds actually gave one to Pecorine, had pictures of his number 35 banner and the goal he scored against the Blackhawks in 2020 on the back of it, and then his career statistics going down the sleeve. Uh, Roman Yossi's jacket had the name of his son Luca, his hometown of Bern, and a picture of Johnny Cash on the back. Matt Duchesne is a picture of Eric Church on the back, his favorite music artist. And uh, Tanner Janot, I thought this was really cool. This is so Canadian, so like Saskatchewan farm boy-esque. <laughs> He revealed one of the more unique aspects of his jacket to Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff. But Tanner Janot has the grain elevator from his hometown of Oxbow, Saskatchewan on the back of it. I thought that was so cool. But it's like, what else do you do when you're from Oxbow, Saskatchewan? Of course, you're going to put the grain elevator on there. And it tells you everything you need to know about where Tanner Janot comes from and what type of hockey player he is. Too. Exactly. And if he wasn't playing hockey, he'd probably be a farmer. So like it's, you know, it's it's just one and the same. I'm actually working on a, a story on Tanner Janot, by the way. I look for that in the coming weeks on uh, NashvillePredators.com. Shameless plug. I liked Phil Tomasino was asked the other day if he's planning on wearing that jacket just out somewhere else. And he was like, <laughs> uh, it's kind of hard to match with the rest of my wardrobe. <laughs> like it's pretty eclectic. I don't know that that's something that you wear to the grocery store necessarily. Probably not. Um, I say do it. He's, you know, well, he said maybe there's another time where the Preds, because they are going to wear the Stadium Series jersey a couple more times this season. He said maybe it's a time where, you know, all the guys wear the jackets. It doesn't have to be the same time, but maybe like on a Saturday night you wear it or a big game or something. But yeah, they they looked really cool. And um, would like to do some more on that too, because I think there's some pretty cool stories, honestly, with the jackets and what some of the guys have on there. So uh, we'll see if we can get a little bit more on that as the season goes along but well done to the Preds and Travis Austin for coming up with that little collaboration and someone else who of course wore a jacket friend of the show David Riddick congratulations to him and his wife Nikki they welcomed a baby boy Timothy last week we know that the goalie pads are ready to go (laughs) yep but if little Timmy Riddick has any ounce of the sense of humor that his dad has and that kid (laughs) that kid is going places but congrats to them we know he was so excited a uh, little guy, as he was calling him on our interview a couple weeks ago. So congrats to David and Nikki. I uh, posted the picture on Instagram last week. So well done there and uh, always happy to see that. There's some more some more Preds babies on the way. It's that time. It's that time. It seems like I think last always. year there were all there were all kinds of guys uh, that were welcoming kids. So we'll look forward to the next member of the Preds family here soon enough, I'm sure. And we will return as we answer some questions from the week as we wrap things up on episode 163 here on the POP on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Fourth and final segment 
of episode 162. 63. <laughs> 163, that's it. Of the Preds Official Podcast. On ESPN 1025 The Game. I'm just so into playing the air drums and the air guitar. <laughs> you lose track of what episode it is. We're coming up on two full regular seasons worth of episodes. <laughs> we are. Good point, Max. I'm Brooks. He's Max. Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20, not to be confused with Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues. One is a musician, one is a hockey player. Love me some Matchbox 20 old school stuff. Welcome back to the show as we wrap things up. And we get to your questions, and I told Max how appropriate that he would co-host with me this week because he actually got a question, and I will read it for him now. It comes from Robert. He says, Thank question, you, Robert. Robert says, question for producer Max. As a commentator... How do you prepare for the craziness of an NHL game with the range of names, the fast pace? Is it just a lot of prep, luck, practice, just going with it and hope no one noticed? <laughs> what is it, Max? Because uh, you, well, you do Vandy baseball, too, which I imagine call, I've never called baseball only hockey. I imagine calling baseball is a little bit different than calling a hockey game. Yeah, it it's definitely different, and I got a chance to announce two Preds games on radio in January when Pete Weber had COVID, which, as we talked about right afterwards here, was a dream come true. It was amazing, but I had not announced a lot of hockey because in Nashville, there is not a ton of hockey being broadcast mm-hmm. other than the big show at Bridgestone Arena. Mm-hmm. So I'd done some just club-level Vanderbilt games, things like that, but uh, I-, I think... It was just knowing names and numbers was the big thing. And hockey radio, I really thought the most important things were who has the puck, where's the puck, what team has the puck, Mm -hmm. and what zone is it in. Things like that, just who and where mostly. And there's so much action and something's always happening that I just kind of reported what I saw, which I do in every sport, but in hockey, it's so much faster. Yeah. Baseball is different because it's really got a set rhythm. There's always going to be a time when you are and aren't talking. And when I'm announcing a game on TV, I almost always don't like to be talking while the pitch is thrown, Mm -hmm. which I have found to be a good chance to let the game breathe a little bit. On radio, it's different because you got to say, here comes the pitch and Mm -hmm. things like that. But the, the hockey rhythm is definitely different because you don't know when all 10 guys are going to turn and go the other way. Yeah. And you got to paint the picture. And the beauty of radio, I guess, is if if you mess up, no one can really see it. They <laughs> yeah. got to they got to trust what you're saying. But no, I mean that's definitely. I mean, to your point, like the action is nonstop, and and I guess you can talk as much as you want, as fast or as slow as you want to a point. But you've, to me, like the biggest thing is painting that picture, right? And and saying it to because it's so different. We're on TV. I feel like you can just say Johansson is Johansson right. carries the puck, whereas on radio, maybe it's like, all right, here's Ryan Johansson in over the blue line on the far side. You've got to really be a lot more descriptive as to what's going on. Yeah, right? on TV, it's a who. On radio, it's a who and a where. Yeah. And I think the where most of the time is more important than the who. Maybe not always. I mean, they go together. But yeah, a lot of that. Um, And just as the puck moves around, just trying to follow it. And yeah. one other thing is... Trying not to make the puck the actor in the sentence, which is something I used to have trouble with when I was learning how to broadcast, because the ball in other sports or the puck is not the person making the move. The people are the people making the move. That's true. People are people. Yeah. But a lot of the times in hockey, the puck is 
has a mind of its own. So. It, it really does. My physics teacher in high school tried to tell me a little bit about that because right, like it's <laughs> it's true. Like, and we had talked about that when I used to referee growing up. Is like, sure, you can be in the right position, but you're still going to get hit by the puck every oh, yeah. once in a while. You just don't know what the heck's going on. So really, it's just you know flying by the seat of your pants and doing the best you can. But Max did a great job when he was filling in for Pete. So Robert, thanks for the question. By the way, Robert used hashtag Preds podcast. You can use that anytime. There were a few that we didn't even get to last week that I wanted to get to. Sarah said, I saw where former Preds defenseman Ryan Suter was able to attend the, the Pecorine retirement ceremony from the Stars bench. He was actually out there watching the ceremony before the game. Sarah says, any word if he was able to speak with Pekka or his former teammates? He definitely was. Um, guys do that all the time, regardless of whether or not um, you know, what kind of occasion, whether it's the regular game, there's something special going on. I mean, you'll see that all the time, whether it's a morning skate or after the game, guys will pop over on the other side of the hallway if they used to play here. And that is very much a, a thing that happens. So I'm sure that with a lot of alumni being in town too, I'm sure Ryan Suter found a moment to catch up with guys like Shea Weber, Kimo Tiemann, and um, those sorts of folks. And uh, we heard David Poyle tell a story on his weekly radio hit the other day about um, hearing from from Ryan Suter, you know, like getting asked about the booze. I, there's a lot of fans that still aren't very fond of him here in Nashville. He's like, no, I th- think they're saying suits, suits. <laughs> so, <laughs> just having a little fun with it there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, just really great to see all the alumni in town. I think that was one of the highlights for me um, and getting a chance. We, we talked to Dan Hamhuis and Jordan Tutu last week when they were here as well. So. Really cool just to, uh, and not that it was a surprise by any means that all these guys wanted to come back in to celebrate Pekka, but just really great to see a lot of guys uh, in there. Uh, there were multiple people who asked a favorite Pekka moment over the past few days, and I said I said last week, I said instantly one of my favorite moments was Pekka telling everyone to please sit down uh, <laughs> at the start of his, his ceremony that got a laugh from the crowd and subsequently a laugh from him. I think you've got to throw the catfish toss up there as yeah. well. Now at the stadium series and the reaction after he almost took someone's head off. Uh, but that had to be a highlight, but boy, he was just really enjoying himself, especially just being a part of everything. Like it was one thing to be here for the retirement ceremony, but then to come over to Nissan stadium with the team in the open air buses and just to take it all in, like I love the bus pulls up, right? The bus pulls up to the game, and whose name is everyone chanting? Pekka. No, and it's not. It's not a, a player who's on on the current team. It's not someone who's going to go out there and play today. It's Pekka's name who's getting chanted by the thousands who were there watching the Predators pull up. And that's never going to change. No. And as long as he has former teammates who are still on the team, I don't think they will hesitate to rope him into stuff like that. Nope. Whoever the last standing teammate of Pekka Rene is in 10, 15 years, they're going to say, Pekka, come to the locker room. Yeah. Come on the bus with oh, us. Yeah. Things well, and, like that. And John Hines even said, we like having him around. It was great to have him around. Because he's like, that's the thing is, is like, he is still, even though he's retired and he hasn't been here this season, he is still very much a part of that team. And he said he felt that when he went into the room to speak to them yeah. uh, the morning of the retirement ceremony. And he's like, it's not, it's kind of like I never even left. It's just, he took a, took right a, sabba- to normal. Took a sabbatical and now he's back. Right but, back to normal. Yeah. It was just so great to see him and just the way that he was embraced again. None of it was a surprise, but um, you just love to see. And it all of it was authentic too, as everything with Pekka always has been. Very much so. Very authentic. And he really took it all in and enjoyed it. 
and uh, I'm sure he probably wished that maybe he got a chance to play in it, but I, I think he had a pretty good time and enjoyed himself regardless of that. So, uh, again, just great to see him and so happy that he was so happy being here with all of his family and friends and getting to enjoy it. Finally, I wanted to get to this one because I mentioned it last week, but we didn't have time. We don't really have time now either, but I'm still going to try. Andrew said, what is your Preds Mount Rushmore? Which is a really great oh, question, boy. a really great debate that you have. So number one, I think, is Pekka for sure. I think Shea Weber's got to be in the conversation because what a reception Shea got when he came back. I mean, really, the first time, obviously, he's been back to play since he was traded to Montreal, but to receive the ovation that he did to come out and sit on the stage uh, with Pekka during the ceremony, I mean, Shea's reception was almost as loud as Pekka's, and that was really impressive to me just to show – the appreciation and the affection that people still have here for Shea and the work that he continues to do. He's still involved with the 365 fund, even though he never plays, he doesn't play here anymore um, alongside with Pekka. So that was really cool to hear that reception. So I think Shea's got to be on there. I, mean, I think by the time it's all said and done, Roman Yossi's got to yep. be on there. So though, to me, those are three. And then the four, the fourth, I think is kind of up for debate. And it, you know, does it have to be a player? I'm gonna say Barry Trotz. Like I was gonna say, like, yeah. is it Barry Trotz? Is it David Boyle? Is it is it someone? You know, do you throw someone like a, a fan favorite, like a Jordan Tutu up there, who you know wasn't putting the puck in the net every night? But you know, so I there's so many more guys that can come into that. So for me, yeah, I think it has to be Pekka and Shea and Roman by the time Roman's career is all said and done. But then the fourth, like, I I think that's a great debate worth having because I think there's a lot of candidates up there. You know, is it a guy? Who's playing that? You know, I've heard a lot of people say if Philip Forsberg finishes his career right. here, there's no reason it couldn't be him. Uh, you know, is it a guy who has already played here? Is it a you know a, a Kimo Timonen or um, you know a, a someone like a Paul Correa or a JP Dumont? Mike though, Fisher. Mike Fisher. Even though they weren't here for the longest time, what they did for the team and the time that they were here, um, I, I think there's a lot of candidates there. So Andrew, it's a great question. So. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty set on the three. I think the fourth is like, if you got any suggestions, let us know because I really think that there's a, a lot a lot to be said there. I mean, if seriously, if you have any thoughts, hashtag Preds Podcast, who would your Preds Mount Rushmore be? I think that's a fun little debate that maybe we can touch on again next week and in the weeks to come. But for now, maybe we'll leave it at that. I like that plan. All right, deal. Well, Max, this, is, uh, this has been great. Like we said, I mean, you're going to be here anyway, so <laughs> you're doing my levels, you're doing your levels, but uh, thanks for chatting. It was fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for roping me in, and thanks to everybody who listens for their support always. It's fun to be a part of the show. Absolutely. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, and, have you ever uh, heard me talk before? <laughs> I mean, I have, but <laughs> for the folks listening out there, uh, yes, he is a real person. He does have a voice. He's not just pushing buttons, and he does a pretty good job while he does it all. So thanks to Max. I'm Brooks Bratton. You can follow me at Brooks Bratton on Twitter. How can you follow Max on Twitter? At Max Hers Talks. Max Hers Talks. He does indeed talk, and he is indeed on Twitter. Vandy Baseball, if you're a fan, you should probably already be following him, but if not, he's your one-stop shop. And baseball season is here, at least college baseball. Not the other baseball, but college baseball, we got that. And Max has you covered there. Thanks so much to Pete Rogers for joining us this week on the Preds Official Podcast. Hey, enjoy the 70s if you're in Nashville. See ya.